This is the Wave Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love for you to join us in person Sunday mornings at 10.30. Visit us online at wayfamily.church. Okay. Ah, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Peter. We're going to continue chapter 4. Now, if you've been tracking with me along First Peter, we've been in it for, for a minute now, you probably were aware that the key theme in this letter is suffering, along with the hope that we have ahead, right? Those are probably the two bigger arching key themes in this, in this letter. After all, this seems to be what the recipients, the original recipients of the letter were experiencing, they were experiencing a serious sense of suffering. And just to recap a little bit, this is when the Christian persecution was officially beginning uh, to, to appear in a way that was unignorable. You couldn't um, ignore the fact that this became something a little bit more pronounced, a little bit more, as I mentioned, official. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. Official in the sense that it wasn't just your neighbor who was poking at you anymore. It wasn't just the fellow citizen who disagreed with you that was going after you anymore. This was more official in the sense that government now was going after you if you were a Christian. And so chapter one, if we go back to chapter one, verse six, Peter recognizes that the Christian or dispersion or the diaspora um, uh, uh, that, that, that was dispersed throughout the Roman Empire had been grieved by various trials, and that's exactly the language that Peter uses. You have been grieved by various trials, right? And indeed, trials do come in a variety, don't they? We don't typically go to, through the same trial over and over and over again unless we're not learning from it. But instead, we go through a trial, we overcome, and then something else comes up, doesn't it? And so trials come in different varieties. So I'm going through my share of trials, and you guys are going through your own individual share of trials, and they probably all look different. They probably have some similarities, but the fact of the matter is that they're different, right? And so some trials are more difficult than others, and some trials are just a little bit petty. But I would say that some, we could even define them as fiery trials. There's a trial and then there's fiery trials. Those are the ones that really, really, really are hard to get through. Fiery trials. And, and th that really is defined by you, right? And what the Lord is doing in your life. But the fact of the matter is that uh, the Bible here does not promise us to have a life, a Christian walk of rainbows and roses and whiskers on kittens. And I can keep going on, right? That's not what the Christian life has been promise to it. This, that's not what it's pro like the Bible promises. In fact, what it does promise is persecution and trials. And so some of which are more difficult than others. Now, you might relate to me, be relate to me because most of us have gone through elementary school. If not, we're going through elementary school, right? Um, I remember when I was in elementary school, the trials that I had to face, oh my goodness, those fiery trials for me at the time, spelling tests, you know? 
Those, those were serious trials for me. I hated especially when I had to go up and spell as in spelling bee. You know, it was easier for me to write it out, but to spell it, it was hard, especially when my, uh, uh, my original language was Spanish. So I had to go and spell things like through and tough. That was really hard for me. That was a fiery trial for me at the time as a kid, right, in that age. But as we grow, and so what, let's think about these trials. Let's think about just as that example of that, that spelling test or any other kind of test. You know, we go through them because what it does is it helps us advance to the next one. And the next one's going to be tough, more tough, right? More and more and more tough. And so before you know and you're graduating from the first grade all the way through fifth, sixth grade, high school, and then you're in university, and these trials just seem to get harder. But when we look back, now that we're through that, those elementary trials are just that, elementary trials. We think, well, that's not that hard compared to where we stand today. And so trials increase, but for a good purpose. And the purpose is to refine us, to purify us, to make us better, to help us grow, to help us achieve more. That's the entire purpose of trials. So can we say that trials perhaps are a good thing? Maybe, right? They're not necessarily a bad thing, although in the moment, it feels pretty terrible, doesn't it? And so... Um, the fact of the matter is that everyone on this planet will experience those trials. And if you don't, there's something wrong. <laughs> All right. If you're not going through your own share of trials, if you're not, perhaps you're not taking them seriously. Perhaps this is something that we need to visit, right, and have a conversation about. But every single one of us will go through trials. In fact, um, one of my, my pastors in the past, he used to say this, and it stuck with me because... To me, it was very true, and it's a sense of encouragement, strangely enough. He said, new levels, new devils. Well, it stuck with me because it rhymes. But it's true, right? We graduate from one thing, and then we feel like we're facing a totally different devil, right? A, de a whole different problem. And the fact of the matter is that that's just the way life goes, but for a purpose. For those who have endured heavier trials, have achieved more, and are capable of doing more as well. And so perhaps the Lord is bringing us through these fiery trials because he's wanting to do something with us or through us, okay? And so when we allow ourselves to go through these moments, we're essentially allowing the Lord to use us, to refine us, to grow us. And trust me, trials are tough to get through. And sometimes it seems that they're never ending. And that's because they are never ending, okay? And so in this next section, we're going to look uh, uh, how Peter explains fiery trials. And he really emphasizes in this. And I know that we've been talking about persecution and we've been talking about suffering. This is nothing new to the letter of Peter because this is what the letter, that first letter of Peter is about. But this is a time, if we go back to its original context, where these trials, these fiery trials, it's a whole new level, is really going to overtake the church. Because as I mentioned, it is not trial by neighbor. It is not trial by someone who you knew or doesn't like what you're doing anymore. This is now getting official. Caesar Nero is now going to persecute the Christians. Because until now, until then, this is when this letter is being written, Christianity was okay. It was actually a legal thing to practice. We, they, they considered it a, a legal religion because it was considered to be a sect of Judaism. 
And Judaism was a legal uh, religious practice in the empire of Rome. And so now it's kind of like really separating itself from Judaism, or at least these officials are, are doing so, and they're taking advantage of this fact, and the persecution begins. So this would not be an occasional persecution from those around them, but rather an official one, and it is one that will continue for days to come. In fact, for eras to come. And so that attitude would change and, and, and the fires of persecution would be ignited to a whole new level that people of this time did not know. And so without further ado, let's uh, dive into 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verse 12 through 19 today. Focus on that. And it says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you care so deeply for us, that you're willing to instruct us, that you're willing to uh, allow us to go through trials. And sometimes as parents, we, we see and we hate it when our children go through their own share of trials, but we know that ultimately it is for their good. So thank you, Father, for that. Thank you that we have your word to encourage us, to fortify us, to strengthen us as we walk through these fiery trials for their unavoidable, they're inevitable, they're promised. But we have this understanding now, Lord Jesus, that they're for our good and for your glory. And so we ask that you would speak to us, that you would continue to grow us, to strengthen us, to mature us, Lord Jesus, according to your word. We pray in your mighty name, amen and amen. So fiery trials, this is exactly what Peter mentions. Again, we're turning up the notch. We're switching it from low to high, right? These trials are, are going to get pretty extreme. And so what Peter's saying here is he's pretty much giving us um, four instructions to follow in the light of coming fiery trials. And so I don't know if you guys caught that, but Peter gave four very explicit commands, let's say, instructions. Like this is what you ought to do because the fiery trial is coming, all right? And, and, I'll, and I'll break them down for you. The first one was to expect suffering. 
This is, shouldn't be a surprise to us, and we'll dive into that. We should, be able, we should have to expect suffering to rejoice in suffering, which is really a head-scratcher sometimes. How can I rejoice when I'm suffering, you may ask? We'll dive into that as well. The third thing he says or instructs us to is to examine our lives as we go through the fiery trials. And finally, he says in verse 19, commit yourself to God. All right? And so these are the instructions that we get from Peter as we read this passage and as we talk about walking through the fiery trials. So I'm going to give you a minute to get this right here. And you can follow along if you have your little notes uh, to fill in. But ultimately, this is exactly the outline that this passage follows. These four very important instructions for us as we endure fiery trials. So let's look at that first one, expect suffering. And that's found in verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You need to expect it. It's coming. Don't be surprised. Don't find it strange, right, as some may do. Like how many of us sometimes still are entirely surprised when something goes wrong in life? It's amazing how we respond that way. It's like, really? Really? This right now? And you've probably heard the term, when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? Right? You're already going through something. Why don't you just add something else onto that, you know, while you're already on the ground? It seems that they come this way. And again, as I mentioned, some more significant than others in regards to trials. But... We shouldn't be surprised by this. And this is what Peter's telling us. So that's the first sense of instruction here. Expect it. Gear yourself up because it's coming. All right. And it's not necessarily a detriment for you or to you. It's going to be something that refines you, that purifies you. That's what fiery trials do. That's exactly what they're designed to do. And what's interesting is when we're going through these trials, it really gives us a moment to reflect, doesn't it? Like when you're going through something difficult, isn't that a good time to ask good questions? Like, what's going on here? Now, I'm going to confess something to you. I have made my wife upset uh, here and then, you know? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but when that happens or when something else goes wrong, that's definitely a time I consider, you know, to, to, to okay, really evaluate what happened. We're just laying it all on the table. We're going to find out. Where did I go wrong? What did I say? What did I do? What didn't I do? Or what didn't I say? Because it could be anything, really. But nevertheless, it's not until we go through those trials, right, that we actually take the time to think about the things that we don't normally think about because we can assume that everything's going smooth and everything's going well, right? But until something happens where it triggers, triggers that fiery trial, then we really don't take the time to evaluate, to expose the sin. And if we remember last week's uh, message, there, there's a, the, the first point there was to be militant towards sin. This is an opportunity to do that. This is an opportunity to expose it and to respond against it according uh, to the word of God. And so do not be surprised. Do not think it's strange. In other words, it is to be expected. And I know that's bad news, right? You're probably thinking, man, I didn't want to hear that at church today. I'm supposed to expect suffering. I'm sorry, guys. This is the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12. These are Jesus' words. He says this, 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if they persecuted those before you, why wouldn't they persecute you? This is nothing new. Blessed are those who are reviled in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it happens. See how he says it? He says it just as an, a general statement. This is nothing to be surprised about. All right? And then he also throws in another, another tidbit there that I think, great, why, do you, why does that have to come, right? But we will explain. It's like, why do we have to rejoice? Because it is a command to rejoice in suffering. Like, why? Like, it's like you're... You know, it's like you're making it worse, man. How am I supposed to rejoice in suffering? But we'll get there. And then in Matthew chapter 10, 24 through 25, Jesus also says this. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. In fact, that's the whole idea, right? For someone who's discipling someone so that that person could grow up to be like them or even better, let's say, if you're a good discipler. And then he goes on and says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which means evil, right? How much more will they malign or slander those of his household? So if our master, if our teacher is Jesus and he has been reviled and he has been called Beelzebul, how much more will they not revile you? To be expected, okay? And so I hope that you're getting this point across. And this is just the first verse, guys, that we're dealing with. And so this is a very, very important instruction. If we are going through trials, let us, let us not be surprised by these, uh, these upcoming trials or the current trials that we're dealing with. Persecution is something that is not alien to Christian life. Throughout the history of people, God, of God, uh, they've suffered. Look back. I don't know if you read the Old Testament uh, enough. But everything that you read there is suffering after suffering after suffering. And guess what? It's also God showing up over and over and over again. And it is amazing to see the outcome of each of those trials that God's people go through. But here's the thing, though. When we suffer, it's usually for a reason that um, is is really, sometimes it could catch us of guard because when a Christian, when a believer suffers or, or triggers someone who promotes that sense of suffering, it's usually because we're walking in a righteous way. And so people don't have a problem with religious people, all right? Think about that. It's not that you are quote-unquote religious, that the reason that you face uh, suffering or trials or persecution, that's not it. Because the Pharisees were religious, weren't they? And they're the ones who crucified Christ. It is not the religious side of things that triggers the suffering. You could be religious all you want, as long as you don't bother me with your religion. Let's say that, right? But the moment you start behaving righteously, the moment you start making me look bad, the moment you start pointing out my flaws, my shortcomings, is the moment I hate you. And that's the way it goes. And that's the way that Jesus was responded to by everyone. Think about Cain and Abel. All right, in Genesis, we have this interesting account of two brothers. Both of them, you could say, were religious in what they were doing, right? They were both bringing a sacrifice, bring homage to the Lord, right, to recognize them as provider, provider. So it wasn't a religious issue. And I'm just saying the word religious because it's a common word, right? It's not that you are devoted to something necessarily. 
it was a heart issue. Cain hated his brother because his sacrifice was received. He came in and he had a righteous attitude compared to his, and that's essentially what triggered that sense of persecution, that murder. Do you see that? So you can call yourself a Christian all you want. You can call yourself a Jesus follower all you want, but if you're not behaving like one, right, you're not representing Jesus, you're not gonna go through those fiery trials that are actually designed to purify you, to grow you, to refine you, to make you stronger, better, more effective for the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. And then again, and I just want to show you this passage in 1 John. I mentioned Cain and Abel. Jesus actually, or actually not Jesus, John actually answers the question as to why Cain killed his brother. And he says this, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. All right? And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit too. And so as I mentioned, religious people... It's all cool, you can, you can believe whatever you want, but the moment you start behaving in a way that bothers me, huh, watch out, I'm gonna go after you. And if we are acting a way or behaving a way that reflects Jesus Christ, we're going to provoke some people. It's just a fact of the matter, okay? The next command that we get from Peter is to rejoice in suffering. This is my least favorite one, to rejoice in suffering. Nevertheless, it's here and it says this, verse 13, <clears throat> but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So there's a couple of things in addition to uh, rejoicing during suffering. It actually shows us how to rejoice in suffering. And I hope that you're seeing it. If not, I'll point it out for you. It says rejoice, be constant rejoicing. And you might ask the question, why do I rejoice during suffering? And how could I possibly rejoice during suffering? Would you agree that th those are very key questions, right? And Peter answers them here for us. And he, the first thing he says is that we can rejoice in our suffering because it means fellowship with Christ. Let's read that verse again. It says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering. That's fellowship with Christ. Sharing in his suffering, that means that we're with him. And I have some beautiful examples of here when Christ literally presents himself to those who are suffering. All right, let's take, let's take Philippians 1.29 as an example. It says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So we're going to suffer for his sake. But the beautiful thing is that suffering is a privilege because we do find him and he comforts us. Let's just take the example of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, they literally went through a fiery trial. Okay, and why do they do this? One, because they would not bow to the, to the graven image, that statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had put up. They would not submit to that. They knew who God was and they were faithful, they were devoted, and they knew that they would expect suffering because of their devotion to the Lord. And so sure enough, they're thrown into this fiery furnace. And as a result, everyone is amazed to find Christ there with them. The Lord is with them and he comforts them. And if you could just 
Imagine yourself to being one of these men, Sadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, and you're thrown in this fiery furnace, and then the Lord is with you. How would you respond? How would that influence you? How would that impact you? Oh, you would find great courage, wouldn't you? And these men rejoice, they dance, and I'm sure that they just couldn't help but praise the Lord in the moment because in that moment, Christ was so present, so present that everyone could see it. And everyone wondered, who is that man? Wasn't it three that were thrown or that were cast into the fire? Who is this? And then also Paul, in his persecution, he was uh, comforted by Christ himself um, in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, the Lord himself says to Paul, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So Paul is incarcerated because of his ministry, and he's thinking, this is over. This is as far as I go. And then there's, there he is. There's the Lord, and he tells him, hey, take courage. I'm here. I'm with you. And you will testify in Rome. Wow, that means I'm going to get out of here. That means something amazing is going to happen, isn't it? And so we share in his suffering, and the Lord is so faithful to show up at that time when we're actually in the midst of that fiery furnace in suffering. Amen? And another thing that we see here is as far as how to suffer and in, in how we ought to rejoice, I'm sorry, is that our suffering also means glory in the future. So if we keep reading this passage here, he says that we will share in Christ's suffering, but he says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And this goes back to the grand arching theme of this letter, is that we have uh, a living hope, you know, that we have something to look forward to, that this isn't it that at the end of the day, we will rejoice and be glad. We will experience the glory of God. And so this is another thing that comfort should comfort us as we're going through trial. And this, in a sense, would help us rejoice in that sense if we have the right mindset. Then we can rejoice when we're going through the fire trial because it means glory in the future. This is absolutely consistent with everything that Peter has been saying about this. Suffering and glory hand in hand right there. And so the trial of our faith today is the assurance of glory when Jesus returns. And now if we go back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, when we started this letter, we read this, verse 7 through 8. He says this, and I just want to reiterate, I'm, I'm going to start at 6, but I don't have it up there for you. But he says this in verse 6 of chapter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That thing that is being tested today will be found in glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then we can rejoice through the fire trials. Do you see that? And so he's not going to replace our suffering for, for glory either. And that's very something, uh, I would say that that's something very important for us to understand. It's not that, hey, we're suffering and Christ is going to take that suffering away and replace it with glory. That, that, that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Like what I'm saying sounds interesting. Like where are you going with this? If you read closely, it's not that he replaces it with it. It's that he uses the trial and suffering to transform from 
being where you are into glory. It's a transformational agent. It's not something that's taken away from you. That very thing is used. It's necessary for your growth, for your advancement, for glory. And Jesus explains this transformation from suffering to glory in John 16. Let me show it to you. And he uses the illustration of a woman giving birth. Let's look at this. John 16, verse 20 to 22. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrows will turn into joy. Not replaced, but turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Do you see that? And so the suffering is actually very important to us because it's a transformational agent for the glory of God. Amen? Mature people know that um, this, this transformation that happens from suffering to glory is something that takes time. I hope that we're mature enough to be patient, you know, because we know that not all things that bring pleasure and satisfaction come like that. In fact, those things that we pursue that come like that don't last forever. In fact, they don't last long at all. But when we're patient, when we're mature, when we postpone pleasures, when we pay the price now for something that's of value in the future, then it lasts forever. Then that enjoyment lasts a longer time. Amen? I love what Dave Ramsey says. You guys know Dave Ram Ramsey, financial guru. He says this, live like no one else, so later you can live like no one else. Right? He says, sacrifice things now so you don't get to do everything that everyone else is doing right now so that later you get to do all the things and no one else can do all those things anymore because they did not invest, because they did not plan, because that suffering wasn't there, those trials weren't there to bring them into a whole new level of glory. And so we'll continue now to verse four, 14. And it says this, <clears throat> if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And this is another reason to rejoice in suffering because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So our suffering also brings us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I like this one. So I'm going to repeat that. Our suffering also brings us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of glory and is present with all believers. But it also has a special ministry. And uh, it, it is absolutely present to those who are in trial and in suffering. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit, his glory rests on you. We call it the Shekinah glory, right? When you have that, that present, uh, that, that present, uh, the present presence, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm so sorry, I lost my place here. The Shekinah glory or the present uh, presence of the Holy Spirit dwelled in the tabernacle. It's that same glory. It's that same presence. It's the, the presence that was with Stephen when he was being martyred, when he was experiencing the glory of God. If you remember that, he looked up and he saw the glory of God because the Holy Spirit was with him. It is this joy unspeakable and full of glory that Peter wrote in chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In other words, suffering Christians don't have to wait for heaven to be able to experience 
experience the glory of God. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can have glory now. This, is, this explains why persecuted Christians um, can go to prison and deal with the things that they have to deal with. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us, it ministers to us, it brings us comfort. This is why people are willing to be martyred for the cause of Christ, because the Holy Spirit gives us that um, that, that strength and that Holy Spirit power, man, I don't know how else to say it, but it's just Holy Spirit power, what enables us to do the radical, what enables us to do the things that are inexplicable. Like, why would you do such a thing? Because the Holy Spirit ministers to us when we're going through these fiery trials, and therefore we ought to rejoice. So I'm going to move on here. So again, rejoice in suffering. We can expect suffering and we ought to rejoice in suffering. And the third thing that Peter says is it's important for us to examine our lives. So examine your life. And that's verse 15 through 18. And why, why examine your life? Well, check this out. It says this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved or barely saved, what will be the outcome or what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So let's examine our life. Because here's the fact of the matter. It could be that we're suffering because we're living a righteous life. Or it could be that we're suffering because we're being rebellious against God. And you see, suffering's not always a result of righteousness towards God. All right? And, and Peter's showing it here. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Don't suffer for those reasons. So examine your life. What are the things that I'm going through right now? Why is the, am I this fiery uh, trial? Is it because I'm living in a way that's righteous? Is it because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing according to God's will? Or am I acting a fool? That's the bottom line. Let's, let's examine your lives. What have, what have I done that I've perhaps fallen short in? And I hope that it's not as severe as these things, but sometimes we make little of these words, like to be a murderer, we think, oh, I have to kill a person to be a murderer. No, man, you just got to hate someone to be a murderer. Right. So check yourself. Examine your life. Are you doing that? Are you hateful? Are you despising people, you know, or a thief? Are you taking from someone that doesn't belong to you? And trust me, a lot of people think less of being a thief. They don't they don't mind downloading illegal things online. Right. And they think they're not a thieves. Um, but there's also this word that he mentions here is a meddler. And that's to be nosy, to be intrusive, to be a gossip. To be involved in the things that don't even concern you. That's a meddler. You know, sometimes we act that way and that's not okay. If you're not a solution to the problem, you better find your way out of it. Okay? You're, you're definitely not helping if you're just talking about people's problems or butting in into people's lives in a way that's destructive. And so what are we doing? Examine yourself. Are you actually going through the consequences that come from living a sinful life? Or are you actually going through a fiery trial because the Lord's refining you, purifying you, and growing from something else? It's very important to differentiate the two because trials are, in fact, different, aren't they? And so how much more if a Christian is found doing these things that are listed here? Of course the Lord is going to deal with his children of course the Lord is going to bring you a fiery trial for you to wake up and respond from the sin that you're caught in, 
right? Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 17. For nothing is hidden, hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And then Ecclesiastes, just to back that up, 12, 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You are not going to get away with your sin. If you're hiding something, friends, I promise you, you're not going to get away with it. It's going to come to light. Why? Because the Lord loves you. Because the Lord wants you to grow out of that. And trust me, I am uh, the best example you could find as someone who can't get away with anything. So many times I've been trying to get away with things as far as growing up and hiding things from my parents and from my siblings because I know that they'll tell mom and dad. And every single time I've been just caught and to the point where it's just not worth it, <laughs> right? And that's the love of Jesus for us, that he will expose that sin so that we could grow up, be refined, be purified, amen? And so examine yourself. Why am I going through what, am I, what I'm going through? And then the other thing that Peter mentions is very interesting. He says, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God. So a few questions to ask, or a couple of questions to ask. Are you ashamed or are you glorifying Christ? And I find this interesting from Peter more than anything, because remember, Peter denied Jesus one time, right, Jaylee? Peter denied Jesus one time or two times? Three times. Peter denied Jesus thrice. That's a form of being ashamed, isn't it? Think about that. And he's asking, are you ashamed or are you doing it for the glory of God? Peter himself was ashamed at the moment when Jesus go, was going through persecution because he felt that he, if he was um, proud enough to say, yeah, I'm with him, that he would also share in his suffering. But at the time, Peter was not there. He shamefully said, no, I do not know him. And so he's challenged. He's asking us, hey, hey, are we ashamed at our faith, at living a righteous way? at being called out by people who don't necessarily agree with our convictions? Or do we do everything to glorify Christ? This is a good question to ask ourselves, to examine ourselves, right? And so let him not be ashamed. Glorify God. Peter, I think, is a perfect example of this. Now look at Hebrews chapter 12 too. It says to uh, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seating at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus was shamed. The thing that he went through was a very shaming thing. Oh man, I would hate to go through that thing. But he despised that shame and he, his mindset was on the glory of God. And that's how you overcome the shame is to think of the glory of God because to be ashamed is a negative thing and to glorify God is a positive thing. And so if I'm ashamed of doing anything as a Jesus believer, okay? Back in the 90s, they called us Jesus freaks, right? If I'm ashamed of this, that means that we're not really considering the glory of God, that our mindset is not there. But when we do do that, when we do put our focus on the glory of God, the shame disappears. So this is how you fight, fight that shame, is by having your mind set on the glory of God. And then Jesus' beautiful example is he's now seated at the right hand the throne of God. This is what was, was a, a, a good strengthening agent for him to get through what he did because he knew exactly what he was doing where nothing else mattered. He was hyper-focused on the glory of God. Amen. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 116. And I urge you to memorize this verse. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Memorize this. Do not be ashamed of the gospel that is the power of, of God. So, again, back to the question. Am I ashamed or am I glorifying Christ? This is a self-examination, okay? Another question that uh, we could use to self-examine is based on verses 17 through 19. And now I'm going to fast forward here. It says, what would be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So another question to ask ourselves is, am I seeking to win the lost? Hmm. If we were barely saved, meaning, hey, we didn't deserve this salvation. It is by God's grace that we were pulled out of this, this damnation that was due to us. You know, and, and, and we are saved, so we are saved in, indeed, right? Nothing can take that away from us. But what about those who aren't? Does your heart break for that? You know, a lot of those people could be your closest relatives. Some of those people could be your neighbors, your friends. Are you pursuing to win the lost? This is another self-examining question that we need to consider. You know, if we're not ashamed, then what are you waiting for? Witness to someone. Talk to them. Share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so finally, I'm going to go to the last point. Commit yourselves to God. And this is found in verse 19. Remember, simple instructions for us, right? Simple enough, I, I would say. And the final one, commit yourself to God. He says in 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, not to your sin, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So commit yourself to God. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator. And I love that he used the word creator there, just giving God credit for everything that is. He has the ability to bring something new, right? Something fresh, something amazing. And so we ought to consider our sufferings as a means to becoming more Christ-like. Because if we are devoted to him, we know that he's got us. He will sustain us. Going through fiery trials according to God's mercy and will will refine us, purify us. And it will be for our good and his glory. Amen. Now, let's look at this promise that God has uh, for us uh, through Paul. He says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. Let's commit ourselves to Christ. Let's. Just go all in for him because there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Absolutely. Yes, that means some suffering here, some trials here. But at the end of the day, it is absolutely worth it. He has overcome. He has resurrected. He is risen and he is risen indeed. And so that promise stands for us. Let's commit ourselves to it. And I'll close and leave you with just a few takeaways. And these takeaways are just going to be pretty much a recap of what we talked about so that you can kind of button it up and really get the best out of this passage. Hopefully you'll go back and revise it yourself, review it yourself. Uh, takeaway one, it is not strange to face fiery trials. It's not strange. Don't be surprised by those things. In fact, the absence or, uh, or, um, or opposition would be strange. If you don't have trials, that would be strange. If your life is perfect right now, everything's smooth, nothing's hard right now, that's a little weird. Okay, but don't find it strange to face trials. James 1, 2 through 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the result of fire trials. Perfection, completion, lacking nothing. Takeaway number two, examine your life. Ask yourself and ask yourself seriously, why am I suffering? Am I ashamed or am I glorifying Christ? Am I seeking to win the lost? Ask yourself, examine your life. Second Corinthians 13 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Let's face the test. Let's trust the Lord in them, having a full understanding that it is refining, purifying, and strengthening ultimately for his glory and our good. Amen. And then finally, takeaway number three, commit yourself to God. I will say to you what Paul said to the Romans about this in his words, which means I'm just going to read you a passage, but take it to heart. All right. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we commit ourselves to the Lord, we know him more, we trust him more, we see him more we experiencing more, right? And so why not? That's what we want. We just want to know him. We just want to experience him. We just want to do well by him, right? We want to honor him for he has been gracious to us in pulling us from what was due to us, right? So just want to challenge you to examine yourself really, to consider where you are, and to be encouraged that these fiery trials that you're dealing with today are a good thing. If we're serving the Lord, are a good thing. If we're not serving the Lord, I encourage you. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's check that. Let's turn around. And I promise you that all things work together for the good of those who love them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that even such a short passage could have such a big punch. And Lord, we need that. We ask, Father, you would give us the strength and the ability to recognize the things that are here for us, that we would not forget that suffering is essentially the agent that propels us to glory or that equips us for this glory or that uh, grows us or transforms us into this glory. And Lord, it's all through your strength that we're able to do it, through your grace. I just pray, Father, that you would not allow this word to go void in our lives, that you would continue to grow us, challenge us, help us, refine us. Thank you for your love, your care, your compassion for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.